Disclaimer. The following podcast deals with suicide and depression and contains language that may not be suitable for some audiences. Welcome to Vanta, Episode 3, Truth. My father always told me that writing was his first love. He loved me and my mother very dearly, don't get me wrong, but writing lit a fire in him, and I know he always blazed brightest when doing anything with writing. He did publish several novels, but we lost a few unpublished manuscripts in the fire. As I'm sure you're aware, writing isn't a very lucrative career, unless you're a big-name author, of course. We were by no means rich but we were comfortable most of the time. Every now and then there'd be financial scares. I'd catch whispers and muted conversations here and there. I find it funny that parents don't understand how much their children pick up on. Mine would lock themselves in their bedroom, and my mother would run her hairdryer to drown out their arguments. Sometimes they'd sit in my father's truck and argue there. I remember one night, when they thought I was sleeping. They were in the kitchen. You see, my bedroom was right above the kitchen in our old house, and the walls were paper thin. They weren't yelling, but they were talking loudly enough that I could discern every word. Janice, please don't tell me we're going down this road again. Please. I don't have to explain myself to you. You are well aware how serious this is. I have no idea what you're talking about. Are we really playing that game right now? You promised me you would get better. If not for me, for him. There was a moment of silence. Martin, I'm doing my very best. Your best? Your best? Well, damn, you could have fooled me. I wish you would just leave this alone. I will leave it alone when you start taking this seriously. Do I need to call someone? Do you want professional help? I won't just stand by and let you continue down this road. I I can't. Do you know how expensive help is? Her voice dropped. We haven't even paid for your tests yet. And you have more coming up. What about my tests? Listen, Janice. You and that boy are my world. I would do anything for you two. My help doesn't matter half as much to me as you two. We're in a rough spot, I know, but believe me, I'm doing everything in my power to get us through it. But I need you to help me by taking care of yourself. There was another spell of silence. I'm sorry. Everything just feels like a lot right now. I'm so worried about you, and I know how much you're doing. I'm going to get better for you, for James. I promise. I promise. I imagine my mother requested my father withhold from me the content of their conversation that night. My father was awful at keeping quiet. So what did you think of the movie? Cool, right? I didn't answer. The movie theater was lightly populated with stragglers exiting viewing rooms and buying snacks at the front counter. We were near the exit when my father grabbed my shoulder. Kiddo, you've been quiet all night. What's bugging you? I stared into his eyes, doing my best to hold back my tears. What were you and mom arguing about last night? A mixture of disappointment and shame quickly spread across my father's face. Let's take a seat out here and talk. Outside the theater, around a corner, were a few benches. My father and I sat down. The air was tinged with a fall chill, which, when paired with my nervousness, made me shiver. How much did you hear? Without looking at him, I responded. Everything? He leaned forward, pinching the bridge of his nose with his thumb and index fingers. Listen, kiddo, I'm really sorry you had to hear that. Your mother really doesn't want me to share this with you, but because I trust you to keep this between us, I will tell you. I turned towards my father. James, your mother had a really rough upbringing. Her parents weren't around much, so she had to become the mother in a way, taking care of her siblings. It took a toll on her. 
When she distanced herself from her family, she got mixed up with a lot of the wrong people. When things got tough, she coped the only way she knew how, by using. I was young, but I understood what my father was telling me. It's a bad habit from her darker days, but one that stuck around like a bad memory. When we had you, she was doing well, but as time went on, I noticed slips, little cracks. I let them slide because I just thought it was part of the process. I really shouldn't have. I, I wish I hadn't. It's gotten worse recently, with everything we've been going through. But I I'm really sorry, James. I wanted to speak, but the words stuck to my tongue. All I could do was stare at my father. We're going to get through this. All three of us. He embraced me. Remember, this is just between us, okay? Okay. He let me go, sitting up. He let out a deep sigh. I think I need to smoke after all that. He retrieved his zippo from his pants pocket and fished a cigarette out of the breast pocket of his jacket. He slid the cigarette into his mouth and clicked the lighter. I watched him as he took a long drag and held it for a moment before exhaling. The white, wisp-like cloud of smoke hovered, slowly drifting away as it dissipated. The silence that had fallen was broken by a voice from behind us. Hey pal, can I bum a cig? My father and I both turned, admittedly startled, to face the unknown speaker. The man was lanky, wearing a hoodie that appeared to be too small. He was shaking, and his eyes darted back and forth, seemingly surveying the area. Why not? My father responded. He reached into his pocket to fetch another cigarette. On second thought, the lanky man stepped closer, drawing a knife. My father and I leapt from the bench, backing away. Listen, we don't have much, but you can take it all. There's no need to get violent. He gave me a glance that said, stay calm, James. I'll get us out of this. Empty your pockets, both of you. The man stepped a bit closer, waving the knife like he was unsure how to use it. Okay, okay. My father and I scattered the contents of our pockets on the ground. It's all yours. The man stared at our sorry excuse of items. Your wallet, kick it over here now. The man's glance continued shifting. My father complied and the man swooped down to collect his prize. Thanks for your patronage. The man grabbed the wallet and darted off. Silence had once again settled between us until my father broke it with his laughter. <laughs> Jesus, you can't make this shit up. I was in shock, unable to comprehend what had just happened, but my father was hysterical. He just played it off. Should we call the police? I know more than $30 in that wallet, kiddo. He faced me. It's fine, don't worry about it. Clearly he needed that more than we did. James, I think you're a fantastic student. Your professors have nothing but kind things to say about you. Dr. Gardner sat across from me, shielded behind his oak desk. I've been a professor for a very long time, as you're well aware. The snake plant basking in the sunlight on his windowsill was far more interesting in that moment. Therefore, it should come as no surprise to you that I know the signs when I see them. Did you know several of your classmates have expressed concerns about you? I glanced at him. I'm not the only one who's noticed your stifled attendance in diving grades. I've talked with several campus organizations, and we feel it will be best to intervene now. I trust the health center. They're usually pretty spot on with situations such as this. Is there anything you want to say? Still glancing off, I responded. Not really. Then I thought for a moment. I faced him. Is this all because of day zero? He hesitated before responding. Not necessarily. That piece was more of a catalyst. So now I can't write freely because apparently everyone is too sensitive. James, that's not at all what I'm saying. We have noticed a pattern of behavior and would like to get ahead of it. Preemptive measures. It wasn't about me, you know. Day zero. Either way, James. I think it would be best if you sought help.
It's ultimately up to your family to decide who you go with, but this is not a discussion. Admittedly, this news was disappointing. The last thing I wanted to do was see somebody. Yet, somewhere deep down, I knew I should. I actually brought it today. Brought what? Day zero. James, are you certain you're ready? This document could be harmful. I, I think I am. I need to use the bathroom first. Okay. Will you need any help finding the restroom? I know where it is. I didn't often find myself taking breaks during sessions, but I felt it was important that I did this time. I could feel my heart quicken as I held the document. I felt my breathing grow shallow and sporadic. It was time for a retreat, for now. A bathroom stall was probably not what most people would consider a calming break, but it was a quiet space where I could gather my thoughts. As I stepped inside, the smell of lemon cleaner overpowered me, though it took just a moment to accustom myself to the scent. I picked the furthest stall and stepped inside. I took a seat on the apparently clean floor and retrieved my phone and earbuds from my pocket. We're going to discuss something a bit different today. Rather than focusing solely on non-fictional stories of traumatic experiences, we will discuss the role fiction can play in facilitating healing. In a study, Marcus Apple and Tobias Richter, two German psychologists, aimed to discover the extent of persuasion fictional narratives could have on individuals. While the study did not have participants writing fictional narratives of their own, the results demonstrate the effect of persuasion on participants. This data could be extrapolated to writing fiction as well. Several other studies cited by Apple and Richter indicate that there are certainly short-term effects of persuasion through fictional pieces. Such studies had participants focus on political speeches, ads, and the like. Researchers describe these as having a, quote, fiction effect, seeing as the material was not completely fiction. The results of the experiment strongly indicated that this information, when presented in a fictional context, has the same impact. What is to be said, then, about the long-term effect? While Apple and Richter studied the long-term effects, two existing models, the Elaboration Likelihood Model, ELM, and Heuristic Systemic Model, HSM, suggest that persuasion only occurs on a short-term basis. These theories are used primarily for persuasive media, adverts, political speeches, therefore their relevance to persuasion through fiction has come into question. To test these theories, participants of Apple and Richter's study were given fictional narratives to read, the persuasive effect of which were measured either immediately or two weeks later. The difference in time here was utilized to study the length of the persuasive effects. The study had 81 participants, college students, partake in two experimental sessions with two weeks in between. During the first session, participants were given booklets which contained an introduction to the text they were to read. Participants were also given several questionnaires. Half of participants during session one were given questionnaires that assessed their immediate belief, the information from the text they believed right away. The other half of participants during session two were given questionnaires that assessed their delayed belief. This, of course, took place two weeks after session one and instead measured how much of the information that participants did not initially believe they believed now. The results showed that long-term persuasive effects were very strong, stronger in fact than the short-term effects. Speculation for why this occurs is that readers are, quote, transported into the fictional worlds of stories. Therefore, their brain processes are altered. This alteration allows persuasive effects to work more efficiently. While this type of research is rather new and unexplored, evidence exists supporting the persuasive effects of fictional narratives. Fictional stories are ubiquitous. There are many possibilities for persuasive use in clinical settings, although further research would be required. So, you may be wondering, how does this tie into writing? Fiction writing involves many of the same processes. Writing is sort of a playground where anything and everything can happen. It is a safe way to experiment with concepts and ideas. So I implore you to write a fictional narrative with characters and scenarios that are utterly unlike your own. Really feel for your characters. Think about things in a different way. And you might even persuade yourself. 
Remember to pay attention to how you feel before and after your writing. He was glad that wasn't the final sound he'd hear. Or at least he hoped it wouldn't. He had no idea what could happen before it was time. He let the alarm clock continue its mechanical whining for several additional seconds before silencing it. He slowly rolled over and stared up at the ceiling in his room. It was early, so small beams of light poked in through his drawn curtain, like many spotlights on a stage. The final act, he thought. So many nights he had laid there, staring up into the infinite expanse that his ceiling appeared to be. Sometimes when his tears transformed his eyes into kaleidoscopes, he would see images flashing, dancing there. Not today. In that moment, all he saw was white paint frowning down at him, taking on the voice of his mother from the kitchen, telling him he would be late if he didn't get up now. The clothes he had picked out the night before hung on the bathroom door frame on the other side of the room. A blue blazer, white dress shirt, and blue slacks is what he'd wear for his final day of school. No one had ever complimented his appearance before, but he figured this would, at the very least, warrant a stare from the students who seldom cared about anything but themselves. He dressed as light thudding beyond his closet door serenaded him. He studied the door, and like the eye of some specter, it studied him. Its looming presence was palpable. Patience, he thought. He made his bed and went downstairs. Several I love yous later, he was stepping outside, as he left, he caught a glimpse of the family portrait that hung in the entryway. His seven-year-old self smiled coldly. In an instant, the bus had arrived, and in another, he was on it. Several students had already commented on his appearance. He heard whispers from the younger, more boisterous students who sat at the front. Several upperclassmen, who usually sat in the rear, told him he looked spiffy. He acknowledged their approbation and watched as trees, cars, and houses stretched and distorted beyond the window. He couldn't help but wonder if he too appeared stretched and distorted. School was the same that day, though he had hoped it would feel different. The noisy classrooms still annoyed him, and the nosy teachers still demanded his attention. This was the one thing he wouldn't miss. Miss Beckman passed him in the hallway, and he knew she would stop him to ask about his attire. Why, you're looking quite dapper today. What's the occasion? A smile graced her chubby cheeks. No occasion. Just felt like dressing up a bit, that's all. I love it. So can I still count on you to be there for the symposium on Friday? He looked into her eyes. Absolutely. The house was quiet when he arrived. His mother was still at work, and would be for some time. He didn't mind. He went straight to his room and set his various personal effects down. The thudding was a bit louder now. Soon, he thought, as he left the room. The house always felt haunting during this time of day. The lack of presence was unremedied by the sun's languid journey across the sky, peeking through every window and glass door, leaving its fleeting beams of hope. He approached the sink, which was full of the various plates and utensils his mother hadn't had a chance to clean from the previous night. He could do that. As his fingers danced in bubbles, and the plates sang their squeaks, he wondered how much quieter the house would become, absent his presence in conversation. One less residing soul. When he finished, he stepped into the family room, he pondered the movie nights and laughter whose ghosts echoed off the high walls. The thudding had grown angry. Now so loud he could hear it where he stood. It was time. He ascended the stairs, and from the peak took one final look at everything that had once been. When he returned to his room, he went for his backpack, which lay at the foot of his bed. From within it, he produced an immaculate piece of white paper, neatly folded. He placed it on his made bed. 
The closet door shook as the thudding continued relentlessly. It mimicked the rhythm of his pounding heart. He blinked and was standing in the small room, gulped and felt his guilt tighten around his neck. Silence was now the loudest sound he heard. When mixed with the building pressure in his head, he thought he was caught inside a vacuum. The noise undulated in his ears, swelling and waning. A searing pain radiated from his neck, and the room's fading light tagged along. The faces of his mother and father rippled across his pupils. And there he was at seven, standing tall, Mama's little prince, so proud and brave, smile still etched on his lips. The light was all but gone. Miss Beckman's kind words reverberated off the walls in his mind. His body was still. The light faded, bathing him in darkness. And then there was silence. True silence. That was quite powerful writing, James. It is. I think I realize that now. Could you explain what you mean? My mother never told me she saved a box of my father's writing. She had hidden it away, probably didn't want to show me because she thought it would upset me. But I read through a few of his pieces and discovered he wrote something similar to what I just read. Before, I didn't know why I'd written this. I guess I was just really upset. But that's not it. I think I now know. It's because I never want that to be me. You've come quite a long way since I first saw you. I sure have. And it's because my mother needs me. Now. So I'm going to be here for her. James, keep me informed regarding your mother. Travel safely. Keeping in line with our discussion of fiction, we will further explore the therapeutic attributes of fiction writing. In their article published in the Journal of Psychiatric and Mental Health Nursing, Sam McArdle, a staff nurse, and Richard Burt, a clinical education facilitator, outline the efficacy of creative writing as treatment for various mental health issues with an emphasis on fictional literature. In addition, the authors look at how different forms of creative writing have been utilized for therapy, treatments, etc. A source cited by McArdle and Burt states, Therapeutic storytelling can involve clients in constructing and narrating their own life stories, and the creation of or reading of fictional stories. Such techniques have proven to be quite effective in empowering patients, giving them a voice and validating their experiences. This storytelling allows patients to safely express their feelings and work through conflicts. Interestingly, a similar effect can be achieved by having patients read and identify with fictional characters. Such tactics allow readers to sort of distance themselves from their trauma. There are several instances where storytelling has had a positive impact, particularly among children who grew up in abusive households, mentally ill elderly, and children and adults suffering from personal loss. This storytelling, when paired with, quote, reading therapy, yields promising results. It should be noted that reading therapy is the use of literature by health workers to facilitate therapeutic activities. It should also be noted that this article, and the ones cited within it, are a bit dated and lack clinical evidence to support their claims. However, they raise valid points. The study discussed in an earlier segment of our show today supported the claims asserted by McArdle and Burt. Literature is powerful, and if used properly, can facilitate healing. First things first. I'd highly recommend picking up a book every once in a while. Relating with characters is quite helpful and can aid one going through struggles of their own. So, here's what I want you to do. I would like you to take a piece of your own life and write it into a fictional story. That's right, any aspect of your life. Translate it into a fictional story.
Hi. Yes, this is James Wallace. You called me earlier about my mother, Janice? Yes. I can hold. Yes. C could you tell me what room she's in? 216? Okay. Are, are you still accepting visitors? I'll be there. Visiting hours end in 30 minutes, but we open again at 8 tomorrow morning. My mother turned over in her bed and slowly opened her eyes. James, she muttered. Hi, Mom. Vanta is an independently produced storytelling podcast that features real research. All sources consulted for this episode are cited in the episode notes. Sound effects from freesound.org.